Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. This week's episode is a recording of one of our Global Autism Community exclusive events. After a few months of working behind the scenes on various projects, we're happy to announce that our community events are back up and running. The topic of this roundtable discussion was shifting from awareness to acceptance. Participating in this event were autistic self-advocates Stephanie DeKramer, Michelle Vinokurov, and Sarah Bradford as well as community members Danielle Terrell, Cheryl Albright, Laura Leonard, and Brenda Canas. You'll also hear from our new cohort of moderators, Andrew Bennett, Cassidy Hooper, Stefan Guidon, and Corey Taylor. In today's conversation, we discuss what acceptance means, including self-acceptance, how to educate the public about autism, the importance of community outings, and inclusion in society. In this episode, discover what's possible when action is the path to acceptance. To learn more about the participants, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. Roundtable discussions like the one you'll hear today are open exclusively for members of our online Global Autism community. We select a different theme each month, and our moderators monitor posts daily to ensure that our online space remains safe and respectful. If you'd like to attend and participate in any of our future events, you can sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now, I present you the Global Autism Community. Hello. Hi. Hello. Good to see everyone. Oh, this is like a reunion. It's been so long since we've all been in the same room, well, virtual room together. Well, first of all, I want to say... Thank you guys for your patience for the past few months. We've taken a pause on doing our monthly roundtables. We just had a lot going on with the organization behind the scenes. And so we are so excited to get the community back up and running. And we have a new round of moderators. So yeah, you guys are all here. So I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves and then we can maybe go around and do a rapid fire. Cassidy, you want to go first? Of course. So I'm Cassidy. I'm 29 years old. I am from Mississippi and I'm on the autism spectrum myself and an autistic self-advocate. And I am one of the new moderators for the global autism community. And I'm just happy to be here. Thanks, Cassidy. And Stefan. Hi everyone, my name is Stefan. I live in England in Shrewsbury in the UK and I'm part of the new team of moderators. Very happy to be here. Right, Stefan, thank you. And Andrew. Hi, I'm uh, Andrew, Houston, Texas, 32 years old, autistic self-advocate, and I work at a community college around here in the Houston area. And I generally work with adult students. I have just joined the moderator team a couple of weeks ago and really excited to be with you. Thanks, Andrew. And Corey. Hi, I'm Corey. I'm a BCBA. I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I've been working with Global Autism Project for four years now, but I'm really excited to fill in this new role as the moderator for this community. Thanks, Corey. So just to give you guys a overview, if this is your first time joining our roundtable week, have moderators in the community who are in there posting. Michelle was a moderator in our last round. So this position rotates out every six months. So if it's something you're interested in, just 
stick around and I'll let you know when that opportunity comes up. Okay, so now let's hear from everyone else. Let's start with Danielle. I'm just going to go across my squares here. Hi, my name is Danielle Terrell. I'm a professional in the community. I'm currently located in Massachusetts. Great to meet everyone and see everyone else again. Yeah, and Cheryl? Hello, everyone. My name is Cheryl Albright. I am an autism sibling, occupational therapist, yoga therapist, and Gilcore alum. Thanks, Cheryl. And Michelle? Hey, everyone. My name is Michelle. I'm an autistic self-advocate. I'm on the West Coast in Florida. I work full-time as a behavior specialist for a public school district, and I work as a registered behavior technician for an ABA company. Thanks, Michelle. And Steph? Hi, everyone. I'm Steph. I'm an autistic self-advocate. I am a professional wrestler on the weekends, and then during the week, I work for Cognizant as a data analyst. Recently, we've been switching healthcare providers at our job, and I've been making sure that the neurodivergent colleagues are represented and with the opportunity of switching policies, making sure that people on the spectrum are covered and mental health coverage is good, which is, we just got the news today, it is. So, yeah. Great. Nice to be here. Thanks, Steph. And Laura. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm from New York and I am a BCBA, but I'm currently in Florida. So, hi, Michelle. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Laura. Sarah. Hi guys, I'm Sarah. I'm in Utah. I'm a self-advocate as well as a mother, wife, and author and a podcaster. It's great to see you all and I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. And Brenda. Hi, I'm Brenda. I'm in California. I work with neurodivergent adults, young adults. And you're still core alum. I'm still core alum. Travel together, Brenda. Yes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how can I forget? <laughs> uh, yes, thank you for being here, everyone. Okay, so this month's theme is shifting from awareness to acceptance. So, you know, April is Autism Awareness Acceptance Month. And so we were hoping to move this conversation forward, right? Like, I know in many areas of the world, there's still a need for awareness. And we know this with the Global Autism Project. And with that, how can we take it one step further? So we started this month off with asking the community, what does acceptance mean to you? And anyone can start. I can start it off. So acceptance to me means about like, Pretty much you're accepting it, a person as a whole. I think about like when I first was diagnosed with autism and everything, like I, I just learned a part of me, but it's about the bigger picture. It's about the whole individual, like everything. And that's what acceptance means to me. I want to jump in on that and come from as a parent. I think acceptance really means the part where you really start looking at support and how can I be more supportive? What can I do? And really focus and be more introspective as a parent on how they can be more attentive to be accepting of the child's services or adult services, whatever necessary. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah, because you know, sometimes, well, most of the times, acceptance starts at home, right? Like what the kids feel from the adults around them first. Yeah, I like to jump in. I totally agree with Michelle and Sarah. And I also, acceptance to me means accepting the individual for who they are and not trying to change or diminish what makes them who they are, make them unique or different. Because being different is not a bad thing. You know, we're all different in our own unique, special ways. So. That's why I think acceptance is. Thanks, Cassidy. I think acceptance is, well, I like to compare it with dyslexia because I always feel like we're about 10 years behind wherever dyslexia is. So for a while, dyslexia needed awareness. People didn't know what it was. But now everyone knows what dyslexia is, or like 90% of people do. And the acceptance for that is things like if you see typos in emails, 
not to have people giggling in the office because they see some typos, right? So there's a difference between awareness and acceptance. So for autism, I feel like we're getting there with awareness, but things like acceptance is going that step further. So if someone makes a social gaffe, for instance, they forget someone's name, it doesn't, someone, like for someone not to take it personally, because people don't always recognize faces and people don't always, they don't mean harm by it. You know, if you're neurotypical and you forget someone's name, it, it might mean certain things. But if someone on the spectrum does it, they're going to feel so SHIT for doing that. Awareness is part one and acceptance, I suppose, just goes beyond that. I would say that acceptance means to show through actions and words that you believe in a person and their dignity and the value that they have just by virtue of being a human being, regardless of what qualities that they might have. I think we can certainly accept that somebody is a person and has value, whatever they look like or whatever they do, or even if we may not necessarily see things from their point of view or agree with the particular values and beliefs of that individual, we still accept the fact that they are the way that they are. And that's the only way that you can really form a relationship and have it lead to change and growth together. Kind of to piggyback off what Andrew said, the lack of having fear when I take my brother out in the community or without the stairs and the, I mean, people on this call can talk and my sibling is non, non-speaking. So he makes sounds and stims and does things. And when I see acceptance, there'd be nobody would even bat an eyelash that that was occurring. Yeah. I think it's also stepping into a new perspective. I went to a conference that, well, it was a fundraiser that was being held for 14 years, raising money for autism. So everyone was there to celebrate. You know, they were all aware of why they were there. But then some of the presenters that were on stage, you can tell they had no idea actually how people are supportive. They even called autism a disease. So that goes to show exactly what Steph was saying that, you know, we're, it's been a word that has been part of people's vocabulary, but we're still working on the acceptance and educating other people who aren't in the field or, you know, who are just stepping into the world and the community. And, you know, how can we really help and really spread that true, authentic acceptance? Yeah, I also say acceptance to me, too, is like on a bigger level, just accepting that everyone is kind of different in their own unique way, kind of what y'all have been saying. And so like in my field, not trying to work towards normalcy, but just working towards the community around them, accepting them how they are. And I do see all of this as like a continuum. I've been around for a long time. I always share that how long I've been working in the field. And it really does all start with awareness and it progresses to acceptance, at least how I see it. And To me, the acceptance is like that that person, that situation is exactly how it's supposed to be. It's that simple for me. I would say acceptance comes with being able to meet others in their own world. So that's typically how I describe it. It's, you know, everyone's living in their own world. And you see this a lot with the autistic community. So for me, awareness would be I can see that something or I know that something is different and acceptance is what do I need to do to meet you in your world and what do you need to do to meet me in mine? I feel like a lot of the times we go into this, well, what is it that they need? And with acceptance, it's just being more patient and trying to identify what those needs are without someone having to like say, hey, I'm autistic. A lot of the times we Especially like I do work with young adults and we teach advocacy as far as like when they're ordering like at a restaurant, it's like, hey, um, I need a couple extra minutes to order or please don't ask me questions back to back. Give me some time to respond. That just goes back to acceptance being I'm going to do what I can to meet you where you're at. And I expect that same thing in return. Mm. So, yeah, there's like a sense of action with that also. Great. Stefan, you shared something in the community about self-acceptance. Could you share that? Yeah, 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 I did. It kind of like stimulates because I I wanted 
some kind of like personal reaction, a little bit of what we're getting here tonight. But I want to pick up on something that Andrew was saying a little bit about. So in the UK, there's 80%, more than 80% of the, pop the autistic population who actually doesn't work, doesn't hold a full-time job. And what I would like to see one day, I mean, we're a long way off, but society accepting that autistic people can be just as productive and useful than neurotypical. Because they, I work with autistic adults pretty much all day, every day, and there is so much that they can offer, but the message is yet to come for them that, yes, we recognize your value, we recognize that you know you, you can bring so much to the table in terms of what society has to offer, not just employment, but society in general. They're not quite getting that message. Professionals like ourselves, obviously, and advocate, we're going to that, put that message across. But it's not inherent yet. It's not right there. It's not in here. So until that happens, we're still going to get tons of autistic people who feel that, that they've got nothing to offer, nothing to bring. I think when that changes, we're definitely moving towards acceptance, you know, accepting autism as something that can really be a positive thing in the world of work, in the world of, you know, relationships, you know, all that stuff. So I see examples of it, but yeah, there is a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So for the self-advocates here, if you're willing to share a story of a time that you felt accepted, maybe it was, you know, with some colleagues or with some friends or in the community and what that was like for you, maybe in comparison to a time when you didn't feel accepted. You can also share a time maybe that you accepted yourself. I'd like to start on this one just because I put something out and people may not have seen it. But again, regarding work, it's only the job that I'm in now. It was the first time I disclosed on my application form. You know, that was at the first time I disclosed it. Never did it before. And I remember once I did it, I just felt, I really felt like a massive weight off my shoulders. You know, not like, it wasn't even the idea of like not needing to mask anymore. It was just like, you know what, I'm just going to put it and see what happens. And plus I knew that where I was applying, they were making a real effort to, to employ autistic people. So there was kind of like that underlying reason. But yeah, any I don't know, it just shifted everything, my whole perspective on, on, on myself and what I can bring to the table and in terms of work and how I work and how I interact with people. It just gave me like this kind of like, freedom to to be myself at work and therefore I was also more myself everywhere you know out around the house you know it, so it, it really did free me but I know that it's a big it's a big step for people you know just disclosing it especially to an employer is a big step but for me it was really positive experience but also do know people who did the same thing actually just boomerang into their faces in, in not a very nice way so you know, each story is different. But yeah, for me, it was positive. Mm. Thanks for sharing that, Stefan. Michelle, you had your hand up? Yeah, I did. So for me, it's very similar to what, what Stefan has said, even from my own experiences too. Like I was diagnosed very early on in life, so it's very different. Like learning it later on, even though for me, like I was diagnosed so early on, I didn't know about it. I like cognitively, I had no clue. But I started to, as I was developing, like even with communication and in general during my elementary school years, like late elementary to even early middle school, especially in sixth grade, was when I was starting to learn that like there's things that are different about me, but I wasn't sure exactly. And so like my family, we um, one day in sixth grade, we were at my family friend's house and we were watching the Dr. Temple Grandin's documentary. And that's kind of where my parents were indirectly were, were explaining about like my autistic traits and stuff, like how I think differently and like how I sometimes think visually. So like I've learned that like it's OK to be different. And, you know, I, like that was such a positive thing for me because I was like, you know, it made me learn to love myself even more. So I think that's 
you know what sometimes finding that peace is just important for anybody's <laughs> own journey and everything that's beautiful yeah for me as an autistic self-advocate throughout high school I was diagnosed being on the autism spectrum when I was 17 so it was pretty late for me like in the past school but we always knew there was something different about me so it wasn't a shock when I got my diagnosis so you know I wasn't really that affected and I accepted it pretty quickly because you know I already knew there was something different about me but like throughout high school and throughout my adult years, I got more confident in myself. So that's how I learned self-acceptance. Yeah, thanks, Cassidy. If I can go next, I think for me, I guess there was two questions. It was, uh, what was the time you felt accepted and when did you accept yourself? Oh, a time recently for me was at a wrestling show. There was a new promotion called Brawl here in the UK. and I remember there was this big buff guy, like a big wrestler dude, and he looked he looked so like he had all his stuff together. He, you know, he looked like really on it. And then we were chatting right at the end because he was asking me questions when I was planning my match. And I, you know, when you're like, oh, I can't talk about that because you're in like you can't multitask, right? So I did that. And then after the match, I came up to him. I was, I was like, sorry if I was brushing you off. I just I can't switch between it. And he said, oh, I totally get it. Sometimes I get the same with sensory stuff. And I was like, sensory stuff? You mean like sensory overload? He's like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, we look at each other. It's like, are you on the spectrum? And he's like, hey, hey. It was like, it was really fun. And I wouldn't have thought someone that was like top of the locker room, like someone that looked that legit could also be on the spectrum. And then two other people in the locker room, two other girls also said they just got diagnosed literally like two months ago. So that was... Yeah, I've always kind of kept the autism and the professional side in terms of like my office job. You know, data, I've got like the office job where I'm like Stephanie and then like the wrestling, I've never really been out. But like, so to answer the question, second question, when did you accept yourself? Like literally like a month ago, I put loads of sunflowers on my Instagram bio and I put autistic athlete as the very first line. So you, yeah, which like to me, I've never been out on my wrestling page. But now it says Kiara underscore wrestler. And then it says the very first line is sunflower autistic athlete. Then all the other lines have like sunflowers as the bullet point. So that's been quite a recent, like as of a month ago. So, yeah. That's amazing, Steph. And just think about like all of the people you're going to inspire from that. You know, all of the other autistic wrestlers who might not be comfortable disclosing yeah. now they have someone to look up to. I hope so. I hope so. There's more people than I realized, people that you wouldn't expect. You yeah. know, a lot of people are masking, you know. So, yeah, thanks for the heart. Yeah. All right. Anyone else want to share? Well, I think it's interesting because my I, I am just newly diagnosed, but I also started my journey with my son like a decade ago. And that's when I was learning and researching. And then my husband, eight years later, which I thought was such a great experience. And it not only brought us together as spouses, but I was able to really see all the accommodations that I gave my husband freely on just by knowing him and loving him and thought, oh my gosh, these are the exact same things I need to be more understanding for my son because they have so much in common with one another. And so that opened up a whole new journey of success for us as a family. And then my daughter was diagnosed afterwards, which then led me to examine my own self because her and I are alike in those ways. And then, yeah, so I, it was a, it was a four part journey for me, which has really led to um, a unique perspective as a spouse and seeing how we you know, related in an almost 20 year relationship to raising children. So it, it's been a really neat experience. And I mean, I actually disclosed prior to getting my diagnosis here on a round table that, hey guys, I think I'm autistic and I'm going to go get tested. And so it was kind of like, this is my home and my landing base for that. So 
they appreciate that. I remember that story. <laughs> it's crazy, right? <laughs> oh. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Yeah, thanks. All right. So let's talk now about education. So when we're thinking about acceptance and getting the general public to this point, right? So now maybe they know what autism is, they can you know, identify some characteristics and they know what needs to be accommodated. How do we educate the public? You know, we can kind of start this off by thinking about maybe who should be leading this conversation, right? Like who is doing the educating? I think Andrew, you commented on this in a post in the community. And like really the ones that should be educating are the self-advocates within that community. I think that's like one of the most important things, you know, and it's coming from someone like that, then it's like tangible and you can understand the changes within that community in relation to that. So Andrew said like in Kenya, the Kenyans were like, well, it needs to be a Kenyan autistic individual who's, you know, providing education. So I thought, I loved that post that you did. And if we may uh, follow up on that with the uh, conversation we had earlier too, uh, Corey, I think even though I'm an autistic self-advocate, I don't think that we hold the monopoly on advocacy in the communities because we do certainly have the lived experience and ability to, if at least if we are able to communicate it, to tell people what we're going through and what we need. But there's also a role to play in perhaps the parents and the sibling advocates and the community members, or in there was also employers that we worked with on in Kenya that needed to not only to get some education in you know, what autism was and how to work with them, but once they were exposed to what autistic people really were capable of doing in the workplace to be the ones that stood up and told their community members, hey, we have autistic staff. This is what they need. They're just as good as anybody else and perhaps fighting some of the stigma. In fact, in one of the uh, facilities that we went to visit on the on our trip, we went to a coffee roaster and they had a sign that said, these are our two employees who are autistic and this is how they operate. This is how you should interact with them when you're in a line and they're serving your food or your coffee. And they also put up a flyer about what autism actually is and what it isn't, since there's still myths being perpetuated in a lot of the cultures around the world that only need to be dispelled by additional education. So that didn't necessarily all come from the self-advocates, but it was informed by the self-advocates telling us what they needed and other people who were in their corner bringing that to a wider audience. And sometimes it's also that outside perspective that's needed in addition to the inside. So I don't believe in no autism, no opinion when you're talking about being a, an advocate, but I do believe that it has a certain weight, but it's not completely the answer. Thanks, Andrea. I appreciate you saying that because my brother's not speaking. So who else is going to do the talking? And apparently I talk enough for the both of us. So constantly advocating for his needs and the things that, you know, there's just the supports that he needs day to day. And it doesn't end. <laughs> if I didn't own my own business, I would not have enough of MLA to take care of his needs. So I agree that self-advocates should, by all means, be doing the majority of the talking. And I think there should be an and in there for the supports, whether it be the parents or the siblings or whoever, to advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves. Yeah. Thanks, Cheryl. Yeah, Michelle, go ahead. I just actually, I wanted to say that it really takes, it takes a whole community to impact an individual's life. It's not even like, it takes self-advocates, it takes professionals, parents, siblings, friends, like it takes everybody. and. I know for me, like I went through the journey where I had communication challenges from being nonverbal. So I've lived through that before. And my family would advocate for me on everything, including getting services and stuff. And now, for example, working with an ABA company, like we're actually going to be speaking at an ABA conference this coming Monday about with autism inclusion for service providers. So that way we're educating about with and advocating for inclusion of autistic service providers. 
because there's so much that could be offered, you know, and that's how it all starts from awareness to acceptance and advocating. Great points. Thanks, Michelle. Stefan, you have your hand up. Yeah. I also just wanted to say that I think the voice of when it comes to proper, legit, you can rely on it type of information about autism. I think it's important to to have this body of knowledge, which is which is the standard, you know, that professionals and the general public can really rely on. It just does not change. It's a you know goal set standard. But I think that standard is only useful if it's with them, with the voice of autistic people, autistic children, the parents and the families to because it needs to be representative. But I think information that the public can trust is really, really important. So the message is really uniform. And then on the other hand, you need to have it illustrated by the whole autistic spectrum, you know, from, from the child to the adult to the little old ladies, you know, all the way across to really bring it to life. But information you can trust is the most important tool for education, I think. I think that this is exactly what the global autism community is. It's people that are connected to autism, whether it's self-advocates, professionals, parents, siblings, and we're all coming together to share stories and to share knowledge and information. And that translates to the acceptance. We're touching people from all around the world. I mean, the five degrees of separation or whatever it is, we're all you know, connected to each other and sharing information and stories and just, you know, even just connecting each other creates so much. Yes. Thank you, Danielle, for bringing that up. Now, if we take it one step further, because this is great, right? Like we're arguably speaking into an ego chamber here because we all believe in acceptance. Now, if we take it outside of these Zoom squares, what can we do in the community? What are some examples of outreach initiatives towards acceptance specifically that you've seen that have worked well? So I've noticed that the most effective thing in our, in my community and like where I'm at is being like out in the community when it actually matters. So to give a specific example of that is I take one of my adult clients bowling. She's nonverbal, but she absolutely loves it. and. There are some challenging experiences and certain accommodations that she needs, but I take her. I take her every week and every week is different. It's gotten a lot better. But with that, when I first started going there, you know, and and this kind of ties back into acceptance. It's they need to accept the autistic individual, but we also need to accept that some people just have never seen it before. They might have never heard about it. It's not a normal thing for them to be experiencing, right? So when I was first taking my client to the bowling alley, we can't wait in line. So it would take me a really long time just to get in front of the line. And in that, like, I finally was like, oh, let me be smarter. So I walked over to someone and I said, hey, I would really appreciate if I can have someone come to me so that we can order a lane. So it's stuff like that. And we get the same thing every time too. So we've become very predictable. They they know to kind of expect us. We've worked with all of the employees there. So from day one, it was like an hour, an hour and a half just to get a lane. And then another hour, an hour and a half to finish the game of just what we were doing. So going to the bowling alley, even though my client really, really enjoys it, it was like an all day event because we just needed to be in a certain place, you know, and like just all the accommodations that needed to happen. And I never minded and we just kind of stumbled through it. So for me, it's sometimes it's just being out there and having them experience that with you so that they can see and, and advocating, you know, what she needed because she is non-vocal. But now that I go and we've been going for a couple months, me and her have worked out a system, right? And she uses like one words and you know, I'm like, oh, wait, we have to wait in line. And like, she'll be like, wait, and she'll walk over to sit down at the same spot. And they let her before it was like a problem. And they just let her now. So like, it's just like different things like that. And they see me and they, they know what I need. They kind of sit us in a more appropriate place now. And it's not such a big deal. Now we can be in and out, get our lane, 
and play the game within 30, 30 minutes to an hour. So sometimes it's just about being out in the community and like for an individual like myself, where I'm working with them is I need to be patient as well. And like in a sense, not care about what the community is saying and just do what I need to do. So like, if it takes me a whole hour and a half to get a lane, then I'm going to spend a whole hour and a half to get a lane and try to work with them so that we can work something out with them and not just be like, like so entitled of like, you need to give me this. It's, it's talking to them because, you know, and I, and I work a lot in the community. So it's, I've learned that where it's, it's not an entitlement. It's more of a, let's be human with one another. Right. And let's just talk this out. And how can you help me? And how can I help you? Because sometimes it's very obvious. Like you you've never had to encounter this before. Like you've never had to accommodate this. Like, sure. It says it on the pamphlet, but how many autistic individuals come in here asking for certain things and like lowering the music, like that's something that they see us and they lower the music. It's just things that have happened over time and it didn't happen overnight. It's not like I walked in there with like a set of instructions of read this and give me everything. It was, and they see it too. And they experience it with me because, you know, if my client's having a bad day, like I'm handling it to the best of my ability, but sometimes it's just a bad day and they've experienced and they've seen that. So they work with me a lot better and a lot closer now to just help me meet her needs and make it the best experience. And they also get to see how excited she gets at the end of it or during it. And and I kind of see them, you know, I pretend like I don't, but they all kind of come around and they see what we're doing. You know, it's like, you guys usually don't like switch out this many times and it's beautiful and it's amazing. So for me, the most, to like sum all of that up, my long-winded answer is being out in the community and actually experiencing the activities and the accommodations and asking for that and modeling, not just for my client. Cause that's, I mean, yes, this one is non-vocal, but I work with a variety of clients on a variety of the spectrum. So it's always modeling. And, but that's whether I'm modeling for my client themselves or whether I'm modeling for the community of how we should be communicating and interacting with one another and accepting them as well as them accepting me. And we just like, we co-create this beautiful thing where all of like all of our experiences three months ago, oh my goodness, I don't even know how I got through my day to now it's, it's so beautiful and it's so nice. Even though sometimes we have rough patches for the most part, it's just the beautiful thing that we have with the community. Great. Thanks, Brenda. Stefan. I just wanted to pick up exactly on what Brenda said, because that was such a good story. And I think that is what we need, actually. The best form of education is that we need autistic people to go out there and we need them to be seen, living their life, doing their thing, you know, going to bowling and eating pizza and dressed like Pokemons. And, you know, that's absolutely fine. And, yeah, go to places and say, actually, I have a few requirements, nothing major. And the fact of doing that and having people do that in the community, everywhere, in in any kind of setting, that trickles down. Because eventually, like Brenda's saying, people get the idea that, right, okay, if I made this adjustment for that person after three times the game, we've got a relationship going. And that's how you turn it around. That's how you turn around the idea of a person who's been, you know, shutting for months and months, being too anxious to go out to decide, actually, I can go and do that. I can go and do bowling. And, you know, and actually get what I'm entitled to and have a good time. And, yeah, ask for reasonable adjustment to be made. I want to have, I could do with having my own lane or it needs to be that specific number. Those things are perfectly reasonable. And it doesn't change the settings in any way, shape or form. And what you get as a result of autistic people being able to do that, you get autistic people who flourish and Jerry start to believe this I can do. I'm actually entitled to that. And I can have this life that everybody else is having. And it turns into really, really positive stories. But for those things to happen, we need autistic people to have the, the belief and the strength to go out and be seen. And I know it's tough. I know it's difficult because that's what I spend my job doing. I show autistic people how to form social groups together and support each other. I know it's difficult and it takes time. But the reward is just amazing. So, yeah, thanks to Brenda for sharing that because uh, that really reflects what I'm all about. Thanks, Stefan. Steph? 
Yeah, I just want to say, Brenda, that's so cool. I think if I heard that right, you said that they've got it so that you don't really even have to ask, awkwardly ask, oh, can you turn the music down? I'm on the spectrum. They just do it when they see you. That's amazing. Like, that's so good. Because I, oh, I wish I had that. Well, I should probably try and do it more here. But yeah, that's so cool. It just stops you from having to feel like every time you advocate for yourself like that, it uses up a spoon. I don't know how many people here are familiar with the spoon metaphor. Yeah, I'm seeing some nods. Like the idea you've got like a battery level throughout the day and having to be like, oh, can you please turn the music down? Oh, blah, 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 you know, so the fact they just do it when they see you guys come in. Is so cool. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Thanks, Steph. Andrew. To uh, follow up on uh, Stefan's uh, comment about uh, getting out and actually doing something, really, a lot of times, the best advocacy is just showing up as you are, even if you don't necessarily do anything. But if you do do something with your talents and your skills and your uniqueness, you're going further. It's the start to just be out there and to acknowledge your existence to other people by being out. But if you're then able to do something that makes you celebrated, you can be uh, welcome just as you are. And that's um, at the core of the inclusion as well. And yes, you might be scared that people are going to see you differently. I was just thinking of uh, the story of uh, Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, where he's hidden inside for all of his life because he's scared of what other people are going to think of him because he looks different than everybody else. But then when he goes out, everyone's like, yay, yay, <laughs> this looks cool. You're bringing something different. But then it's the uh, people out there, like the judge, who are going to tell everybody else, hey, this is ugly. This is terrible. There are going to be people out there, unfortunately, that are like that, that are going to call something that's actually beautiful and meaningful to the world in one way, not so great. But it's up to us to put things out there and let people judge for themselves and let people see the beauty that you can find in things that are different or unique or even odd to some people. And if people are going to oppose that, then we can only work that out by getting things out there. And hopefully over time, the acceptance will win out over um, exclusion. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. And Michelle, I think you might have had your hand up first. Go ahead. Yeah. So for me, from my experiences as an autistic behavior specialist in the RBT, I've been through like throughout schools in the school district that I've been seeing so much more acceptance in regards to like in classrooms where they have like sensory break areas to like where the lights are dimmed down, low music and everything, especially a lot in the ASD classrooms and stuff. And it's awesome because, you know, that's like a big step right there of how much that there's acceptance. And like, I've seen a lot of classrooms where they're like, there's teachers that are like so patient and everything. I know like there are days that are like rough and stuff, but they're very patient. They take the time. doesn't matter like how much work the students getting done. It's just a matter of like they're being there for the kids. And that's really what matters so much. And when there are classrooms that need more support, I would actually advocate for it, like being like, okay, let's put an area in the classroom where it could be all calming and relaxing for kids. So that way they have a place to be at. And also like making time for like those who need breaks, like, cause you know, like, like with everything that's going on in the world right now, we're always like working, 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 but yeah, we forget that like, there's a lot of kids who need like constant breaks and stuff. So like, even like just throwing those in there, like naturally and stuff, that's all part of, the, of acceptance. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Corey. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like just from a lot of the personal stories and kind of my own experience that people only really like seek out that education once they've interacted with people. And I kind of just wish there was a way that we could have more information provided before you even had to interact or have that maybe misencounter or something like that. I have a friend who their nephew was diagnosed. So she just comes to me and now she's interested and she wants to learn more and to understand, but that, that interest wasn't there before until it's like they're personally impacted. So I would just love like a, a way to have this broader information provided beforehand, especially like where it's life changing or, you know, school's great. There's a lot of interaction, but even like in the police force, there should be educating there because they may have never even interact with someone with 
autism and they come across it and they're, you know, don't understand. So there's just ways that I think we could be more proactive in the community and like providing that education. Yeah. Especially when you think about all those people who are undiagnosed too. And I think maybe a lot of people here can agree that once you kind of get into this work or you're in the world of autism advocacy, you just tend to generalize and be more compassionate to everyone (laughs) by nature, autistic or not. So yeah, that's an interesting point. Like how can we kind of spread that empathy from an early age, even maybe in schools? Sarah. I'm glad that you brought that up, Corey, because from my experience, I guess that's the best I can go off of, is that at my beginning of my journey, I started writing children's books and I took those into my children's classrooms. And I sat the kids down in my neighborhood on my front porch and I read to them and I introduced them to my child. And I said, this is you know, autism for DJ and this is how he presents himself to the world. And this is how you can be a good friend to him. And the response from the teacher was fantastic that all of these children wanted this information. They want to take it with them and support the kids. And this was a couple of years ago. So now these kids have gone to other grades and they've taken all of that information with them. So I'm really proud of that. And another thing you said is my first experience training our local police department was fantastic. It was one of the best experiences ever. And I'm trying to work with our local children's hospital to put a sensory room in their emergency department. I think that like just getting out there and creating all of these spaces in the public where people can identify their support needs and and feel accepted. Yeah. Emergency room, that's a great idea when it's like really overwhelming and could be kind of chaotic to begin with. Danielle. Yeah, just really spreading information and stories um, across different professionals. I always look back to when I was in college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Even in high school, I just wanted to help people, but I didn't know what that meant until, you know, I kind of reflected, but if I had known a little more when I was in school, you know, I think of what could I have done, you know, in those years and not saying that I regret any of that time, but I wish I had known more. So having speakers, guest presenters in classes and really incorporating more knowledge about how you can go into the human service field, how you can support people in different professions is so great. I work with a BCBA now who goes to local police stations and trains them. There's a program in Massachusetts that goes into the medical schools here, several of the medical schools and teaches the earlier students in their first, second years, nursing students, med students about how to work with people with disabilities. And then there's a component where there's self-advocates that teach lectures. And then the students get to go into homes and see what life is like in the home. And it really just changes the perspective and changes the conversation. For sure. All right. We have a couple more minutes. Let's close the conversation with, um, you know, we've kind of done this naturally transitioning into inclusion within the society. But do you guys have any other examples of good practice, how places can accommodate different needs, whether it's a sensory friendly event or um, an establishment that has different hours? What have you guys seen that has been really good in your community? Or maybe what would you like to see? What do you like maybe wish there was? Okay, so like we have a supermarket called Tesco's, which is kind of like Walmart, I guess. They have like a quiet time, but it's like 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. So it's designed for parents with very young kids who are on the spectrum, which is good. But like if you're working, you can't go to it. So I'd I'd like if supermarkets, they're getting there. So I don't want to criticize it, but if they could maybe have one that's, yeah. When I think of inclusion, I don't think about a separate time. And I know that can be controversial and and I don't mean it to come out negative. So please don't take it that way. But for me, inclusion is just like that example of bowling. They, They are inviting us. They are including us. I think that everyone should be surrounded by all different 
types of people, not just like, I don't want to just go to an autistic event. I want to go bowling and I want needs to be met. And with the bowling, that was a great example of this inclusion where they're just including us. For me, having a, and and everything has this time and a place, but having a separate time, it's, you're not, you're actually excluding me from being able to experience this with other individuals like-minded or not. So for me, when I think about inclusion, it's just those accommodations that can just be made, right? Because like, why does the, even for me, it's like, well, why does it have to be so loud all the time? Like, why is that the norm? And like, obviously, like I'll avoid, like if I'm going bowling, I'm going to avoid the late nights because I know that's when they have like the lights and they have like the loud music. But during the day, like, why can't it just naturally? So for me, it's just, I don't want to be excluded with my, like when I'm hanging out with my clients, we look for just, let's just go somewhere. I don't want to look for a special event. I just want to go to an event. So I guess like for me, it goes back to like, I just want to be included and continuing to work with the establishments that it's important for me to work with. Yeah. If I could build off of that too, just like at like the systemic level, like if uh, someone's planning a building, they'll think of putting in like a ramp or something for handicapped people that they need. Like they don't know that there'll be people going to that building, but it's already built in. So thinking of it in that sense is like, it's already on someone's radar to make it that way would be amazing. Yeah. That's how my yoga studio is. I mean, you come in, you could take class and you don't know who, who's going to show up. So this afternoon we had, I wasn't there, but I saw who signed up. So it was a group home. It was individuals that had traumatic brain injuries next to somebody who is neurotypical next to somebody who had Down syndrome. It doesn't matter. Like that to me is a sense of community. And even if it's in my small little bubble, <laughs> we got to start somewhere. Yeah. And the one last thing to add to Corey's point is in addition to building it into the building that when you build it, it's also possible to retrofit in a way of, oh, let's make these places that could benefit autistic customers or clients or uh, visitors into something and rebrand it and give it another name. So like, say you're going to an airport and there's a quiet room somewhere. There's quiet rooms because people are tired. They need a rest in between long flights. Sometimes there are also prayer rooms for people that are stopping and need to uh, pray or do other uh, religious activities while they're traveling. That's also a sensory break room. You could put that in there. It doesn't mean that you hardly have to do much else. So it either could be just adding the resources to make it autistic friendly, but it also could just be just change the nomenclature or add that on there, quiet or sensory room. And perhaps over time, quiet room will be synonymous with sensory room. And people will understand quiet room means I can take somebody who's got the sensory overload into this place and there's not going to be any noise for a while. I can stay there. So the awareness might just come by shining a light on what's already there and helping people to realize that what's there can be used in your situation with the uh, child and the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michelle? I also want to say that besides with the resources and everything, like I just want to say in general with inclusion, it's, it's actually about with being a community When I think about like with my workplace, for example, with the ABA company, we have neurodivergent and neurotypical providers that are working together. And that's what real inclusion is, is working together. You know, I'm very fortunate that like when I think about with this company and stuff that I've been on a ton of like, yes, I have a whole team that I work with, an autistic advocacy team. But we do work with the neurotypical providers and stuff like online and in person to be able to provide resources and advocate for resources that clients need. But it's all about working together and it's about belonging as a community. That's what inclusion really means. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. All right. To wrap up, any last takeaways? Go ahead. I was just going to say I want to hear more about the Kenya thing, which I think you were part of. Yes, that's actually what I was going to comment on too, uh, Steph, because 
it was something that touches on what several people have said here. There was a campaign being run in Kenya by one of the parents that came to a self-advocate dinner that we hosted. And it's a hashtag campaign that people put, I guess, put on social media now called Don't Hide Your Child. Like we said, we have to get them out there and acknowledge that they exist for people to make a decision on whether they're accepted or not. And then that's where the conversation starts. But you can't break down the stigma without first challenging it. And you can't get the resources in play to help not only break the stigma, but help lead change to happen without challenging the way that society currently operates. No change has come without somebody daring to get up and advocate for it. I think that's the biggest thing, too, is that there comes this place where we need to stop caring about what others are going to think. And for any alumni here, for anybody that's done Leadership Academy, if you have not, you should definitely do it 100%. But we create these stories in our head, right? And we start making up the stories of how others are going to perceive us or what's going to happen. And in reality, we don't know. We might experience a good thing or a bad thing. And a lot of it is you have to learn how to stop caring. And that's the biggest thing that, like, I work with the community, like I said, with a range of my clients. And some of them still have very, very difficult days. And I still take them and, I, and I, I'll still do it every single time. And I just prepare myself. I embrace myself like, okay, this could be good or bad. But I know that since I've been out more in the community with them and I've had more of these like bad experiences or these challenging times, I've learned not to really care. And I am there to support them and I want them to experience it because that is their right. It is their right to experience the things that they enjoy. So that's why I do it. But I did have to first learn to not care what others are thinking. If my client is like, having a really difficult time, they're being really loud or really disruptive. I just focus on on them and I just make sure that that I'm keeping them safe. They're keeping themselves safe. And we're just eventually just kind of coping and, and trying to write it out so that we have better experiences in the future. And I have to stop caring. And I had to stop caring about, oh, they're not going to want us back. And like these stories that I still hear in my head that I need to like quiet down. Like, and I just tell myself like, who cares? I'm not here to show up for that person working. I'm here to show up for my client and I'm here to support them with experiencing something that they've expressed interest in. Yeah. Thanks, Brenda. That's great, Brenda. And just not quitting. I remember when I first started, I had roommates that were like, oh, you should get a new job. Like you shouldn't do this. And I'm like, no, like there's a need there and we have to challenge it and continue on. All right, everyone. Well, thank you guys so much. This conversation was amazing and a great start to just get our community back up and running. So I appreciate all of you sharing openly. Thank you so much for, you know, kind of getting vulnerable with some of your stories. And, you know, it's not easy, but I think when you think about that ripple effect and all of the people that you're impacting here on this call who are going to have this spark ignited in them and move forward, it's huge. Thanks for organizing, Rachel. Yes, thank you guys for coming and stay tuned in the community. We are continuing the conversation about inclusion in society next week. So we complete the conversation about education this week. And then we're going to have a new theme in May. So just make sure that you check in so you can vote on what you want the theme to be. We'll see everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. It was so great to see our community members back together. I think we had all been missing our monthly events where we can delve deeper and learn from each other. At least I know I had. There really is something special about this group. We don't interact in the realm of right and wrong, and there is no judgment. We support, validate, and encourage. This roundtable reminded me of just that. And I can't wait for the next one, which will be on Thursday, May 18th. If you're not a member yet, I encourage you to join us. Are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Or are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? 
Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to connect and collaborate with people from all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.